Um, all right, let's, we're gonna do the countdown. You wanna help us? Three, two, one. Hello, we are live from the 25 at ALA in Washington, D.C. We're here with Lee Wind. Hey, that's me. That's you. Lee Wind is a lighthouse of stories, true and fictional, that center on marginalized kids and teens and celebrate their power to change the world. Change the world. We really need to change the world. Yes. Yes. Closeted until his 20s, Lee writes the books that would have changed his life as a young gay kid. His master's degree from Harvard in education didn't include blueprints for a time machine to go back and tell these stories to himself, so Lee pays it forward with a popular blog with over three million page views. I'm here, I'm queer, what the hell do I read? And books for kids and teens. In addition to No Way They Were Gay, he is the author of the award-winning young adult novel Queer as a $5 Bill and the picture book Red and Green and Blue and White. With day jobs for the Independent Book Publishers Association and the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, Lee's hero job is storytelling to empower readers to shine with their own light. Visit leewind.org to subscribe to Lee's newsletter and continue your journey to discover our past and live your future. Thank you for being here, Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. So um, can you talk about why it is important for you as a creator to tell stories of LGBTQ history as opposed to current nonfiction or more fiction? Yeah, I mean, I, I like it all. I like fiction, I like nonfiction, but for me, growing up gay and being closeted from like age 11 to age 25, I really think it would have changed my life. Like if I did have that time machine that you mentioned in my bio, uh, I, it would have just changed everything to know that like somebody else in history was a guy that like liked other guys. Uh, and in fact, I, when I did finally come out, it was like another 10 years after that that I went to a talk where um, a, a gay man was talking about the letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote Joshua Fry Speed. And he said that they convinced him that Abraham was in love with Joshua. And I was like, how is that possible? I mean, Abraham Lincoln's on the $5 bill. He's on the penny. He's on Mount Rushmore. How, how is it possible that he could have been in love with another guy? And I have never heard of this before. And then I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So I went to the library and I got a book, a really old book. And, and um, it was very thin. And in the back half of it were letters that Lincoln had written to Speed. And in fact, when I read the letters, I, I had that exact feeling that I did when I was closeted and in high school and in college and in grad school, I dated girls. And I always sort of judged it the right thing to do, but I didn't feel what I kind of thought I was supposed to feel, what, what the songs told me I was supposed to feel what my parents, what society told me I was supposed to feel. I judged it the right thing to do, but I didn't feel it. And then here I'm reading this letter from 1821 from Abraham Lincoln to Joshua Fry Speed. And um, they lived together for four years and um, Abraham, and then Joshua moved back to Kentucky and married this woman named Fanny. And eight months after that wedding, jo uh, Abraham writes him and says, are you now in feeling as well as judgment, glad that you're married as you are? From anybody with me, this is an impudent question not to be tolerated, but I know you'll tolerate it for me. Please tell me quickly. I'm very impatient to know. We don't have the answer, but it was less than four weeks later that Abraham married Mary Todd. And I read that and I got goosebumps because it was exactly how I felt when I was a kid. Like I, I judged it, but I didn't feel it. And then there was Abraham Lincoln saying he judged it, but he didn't feel it. And, and, and his, and the guy that he, I think he was in love with, he judged it, but he didn't feel it. And 
that moment of sort of like goosebump recognition of like, okay, I don't think I'm as great as Abraham Lincoln, but like the fact that I had something in common with this president from history that, that is so foundational in America, just it would have changed my whole life. And I, then I started getting into the whole idea like, wait, if, if this is true, then what else are they hiding from us? And indeed, I feel like there is so much. And you start to like, it's like it was the first crack in that facade of history, right? Like history in America is taught as the stories of rich, white, straight, cisgender, able-bodied men from Europe. And if they were rich, that's even better. Um, and that's how we teach history. But there's the stories of women and people of color and disabled people and men who loved men, women who loved women, people who loved without regard to gender and people who lived outside gender boundaries. And that bit of the queer history is what I'm really excited about. And so I started collecting the stories um, and I did more research and, and really that's where No Way They Were Gay came from. Because I just kept saying, no way they were gay? a great title. And so you mentioned some of the historical figures. Um, talk about some of them and also how did you do the research and how does this book showcase those primary sources? So you're not didactically telling readers this is what happened, but here's the primary sources. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Because I feel like history for me was also taught um, like medicine, like names and dates to memorize and incredibly boring. I mean, like I hear the word history and I see like cobwebs and dust. And I just thought, well, that's not the kind of history book I want to write. I want to write, what's the chocolate version of history? What's the empowering version of history? So, um, yeah, so like reading the letters that Mahatma Gandhi, so, so I didn't, I'm not like out there discovering new, you know, diaries under somebody's floorboards. Like I'm just going to the library and tracing my way back through the, through the footnotes and that through the endnotes, trying to find the primary sources because so much of what we're doing is, is sort of reclaiming the, the, the actual, what the people actually said and trying to set aside the hundreds of years of historians that have kind of hidden it. Um, they've changed pronouns uh, with Shakespeare's sonnets. He wrote 120 plus sonnets to another guy. And for over 150 years, nobody knew it because the version that the world uh, that was that was printed uh, had changed it all as if they changed all the pronouns to make it look like they, they made it all to a woman. And in fact, changed lines like my dear boy to my sweet mistress. And um, like they really... They, Intentional. Like, yeah, and they did it for Michelangelo too. Um, he also had the love sonnets to another guy. And so it was really important for me. And what I was so pleased with Lerner is that we the design of the book is really cool where all the primary sources are bold in the book. Because I really want kids... Um, to be able to see, well, what's what's the real thing in history? And then, all right, well, what's the author think? And I don't want to be... Um I don't want to be didactic. I really want to be like a lighthouse. Like, okay, look, here's all this really, really cool information. It totally convinced me about the the sort of the power of the queer people in history. But you don't have to take my word for it. Read it yourself. Here are five of Shakespeare's sonnets. Let's talk about them and, you know, see what you think. And being here in D.C., like the stories of like Eleanor Roosevelt and her love for Lorena Hickok. I don't know if anybody out in the audience has seen the new uh, series First Lady. Yeah, it, it was really amazing to see that they included the relationship with Hick. They kind of dropped it at the end, 
But um, it was very exciting. That, but but generally, I didn't learn about Lorena Hickok and that she was really this you know decades long love affair with Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, so it was really fun to include the letters that were so clear and um, so much of the histories that they've been trying to hide from us. Um, I'm thinking of the Pharaoh Hatshepsut who um, it back in, in Egypt, you know, thousands of years ago, basically changed their public presentation of gender over 22 years. So they started out the, the daughter of the king and then became the wife of the king, who was the, her brother also. Because that's how they did the things back then in e- ancient Egypt, because they didn't know about that it was a bad idea to marry your sister. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, the hus- the, her husband died, and uh, there was no male heir, and women could not rule in ancient Egypt. So uh, oh, it was brilliant. So at a 16-year-old, Hatshepsut convinced the ruling elite to let her family dynasty stay. She had a two-year-old nephew, and she convinced them that to let her rule as regent uh, for the nephew. And then pretty soon after that, she transitioned to, they were going to be co-kings. and But she was the senior co-king. <laughs> and, um, and then even though I'm, I keep using the pronoun she because that's, a, that's what was used in all the hieroglyphics and all the explanations of the time. But um, over 22 years, her statues, uh, the, how she presented herself, transitioned. So, um, in, and from from the completely female presentation to a sort of in-between state to a completely male presentation with like a false beard and squared shoulders and no shirt and pecs um, rather than breasts. It was complete, absolutely fascinating. And in Egyptian art, it turns out that there was a color for sculptures for women. They were painted uh, yellow because they stayed indoors and weren't exposed to as much sun. And then for men, they were painted red. And Hatshepsut statues actually transitioned in one of the temples from yellow to orange, which was completely unheard of in Egyptian art, to red. So you can actually see this transition in in the actual stuff. And there's there are some um, photographs in the book, um, not of color, but but of the statues of, of how Hatshepsut had changed. So I think that it's incredibly empowering to know that, like, if you're a kid today and you're gender queer or you're gender fluid or you just have a friend that is, to know that, like, way way back thousands of years ago. This isn't new. Like, they keep trying to say that, like, all this queerness is new. And even in the queer community, we're not great about it. We're like, yeah, Pride began at, at, in 1969 at Stonewall. And Stonewall was amazing. And shout out to the queer wi- trans women of color that led that. But honestly, that's not where queer people began. We began thousands of years ago all across the world in every culture. And I think that's really exciting. And so that's really what we tried to do with the book is focus on 12 people, go really in-depth, let their voices speak. And um, and one of the voices I was so excited to discover was Bayard Rustin. So we're in Washington, D.C. I can't not talk about Bayard because he was openly gay and black and a leader in the civil rights movement. And that famous march on Washington, like just down this, I don't know which way to point, um, but that famous march on Washington where Martin Luther King gave his amazing I Have a Dream speech, it was organized by Bayard Rustin. And uh, it was that way. Great. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, and it was so incredible because Bayard was uh, was asked later in, and there was a blackmail scheme where they were trying to convince, um, they were trying to shut something down. Uh, you got to read the book. It's so cool. But anyway, um, 
inspired at one point was asked, does he have any advice for other openly gay black activists? And, um, and here's what he said. Well, I think the most important thing I have to say is that they should try to build coalitions of people for the elimination of all injustice. Because if we want to do away with the injustice to gays, it will not be done because we get rid of the injustice to gays. It will be done because we are forwarding the effort for the elimination of injustice to all. And we will win the rights for gays or blacks or Hispanics or women within the context of whether we are fighting for all. And I, I feel like that could have been said yesterday. And I believe that so strongly. Like, I'm gay, so I'm the G of LGBTQIA2+. And I know that my journey is to be, like, my mission is to be an ally to all the other letters in our queer community, but also to women and to people of color and to disabled people. And my God, if we're not all going to be feminists right now, like, we've got to get it together and recognize that we all have to stand up together and, and fight for each other. Because honestly, that's where we are the majority. Right. I went political there, but I had to. We're in D.C. Yes, it's all about politics here. So what do you really hope that middle grade and teen readers will take away, or, or, or adult readers will take away from this book? I hope it's the start of their sort of exploration of like, hey, wait a minute, really? Maybe, maybe I need to dig into history a little bit more because the stuff I'm being spoon-fed in school is not necessarily the truth. Um, and now we have all these rules, a little bit more politics. We have all these laws happening about, oh, you can't say gay in Florida, or you can't talk about... You can't talk about slavery in, sla- in states that where people owned each other, which is uh, like unconscionable. Like we have to. The reason they're trying to control history is because that's how they control the narrative. If kids don't know that they had a place in the past, they won't believe that they deserve a place at the table today. If they don't believe they deserve a place at the table today, they're not going to imagine that they can be anything or achieve anything in the future. And if we can reclaim the past, we give them a place at the table. We build the table bigger. All these people in power that are so nervous about other people having power, it's because they're like, oh, I don't want to lose my place at the table. Let's just build a larger table. We can do it. We, we have the technology. We can build more seats at the table. So then I feel like it gives them agency. It gives, I want readers to be like, this is the beginning. And I, now that I know that this, this facade is a piece of, I don't know what I can say on this podcast, <laughs> but like now that I know that this facade is false and I can see behind it, now I'm really interested. I want to learn about Asian history. I want to read my friend Paula Yu's book um, about uh, Vincent Chin. Like, read that book. That was amazing. I, it opened my eyes about Asian American history. Like, there is so much else out there that, you know, I want to read more about the, the history of indigenous people in this nation and the fact that they're still here. Thank you very much. Um, I think that it is really important for us to learn about the past so we can empower ourselves today to make a better future. That was so well said. So one last question sure. for you. You have a YA novel, Queer is a $5 Bill. Yeah. You have YA nonfiction in No Way They Were Gay and coming out next year, the sequel, uh, The Gender Binary is a Big Lie. And you have a picture book called Red and Green and Blue and White. What's next? What is next? Uh, I am working on a YA uh, 
I don't know. I'm working on a bunch of things. I'm working on a YA that's uh, I can't announce. It hasn't been announced yet, uh, but it's sort of like a gay James Bond deconstruction kind of thing. Yes, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I have another picture book coming out. Um, uh, which is a, a, a story from queer history. And that's actually really interesting because it's a bit of an intersection of how publishing functions. Um, so there was a story actually mentioned in this book briefly um, about uh, a true story from Chinese history about um, two men who, before the unification of China, uh, there were two men that were in love, um, the Duke Ling of Wei and this guy Mizzy Zia. And they were walking through an orchard and um, Mizzy Zia picks a peach off a tree and starts to eat it. And it's so delicious, he can't, he, he stops eating it halfway through and he offers the half-eaten peach to the Duke. And something about that gesture, and the Duke makes a big deal out of it. He's like, I can't believe you'd sacrifice your own delicious, you know, your own enjoyment of this peach to give it to me, you must love me so much. Anyway, there was something about it that captured the imagination of people in China. So for over a thousand years in Chinese, the way that they said gay was love of the happy and beach. And I'm like, damn, that is a cool story. I want to write a picture book on that. So I wrote a picture book manuscript on that and uh, like five years ago. And, and I worked on it super, super hard. And um, we had a publisher interested. And they ended up not being able to acquire it because they published their books in China. And Chinese government right now is not particularly friendly to queerness. And they were very afraid that since all their books are printed in China, that something bad would happen to their entire supply chain. And so they recognized that they didn't feel like they were the right publisher for the book. And clearly they were not the right publisher for the book. And happily, the book did find a new publisher. It's coming out from Raycraft, uh, Newmark. Uh, I don't know when, but uh, I'm excited about the fact that Love of the Happy Peach is going to get out there in the world. That is wonderful. Thank you, Lee, so much for being here. Thank you to our audience here. Um, you can visit leewind.org to learn more about Lee and his books and get regular recommendations for um, books and other resources to support LGBTQIA plus trans kids. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Rachel. And thank you, everyone here at ALA 2022. It's lovely Woo! to be back. Thank you for listening to The Learner Podcast. Tune in again next time for more author interviews and the stories behind the books.